What's going on, guys? AJ here, back again with another amazing episode of the E1B2 podcast. And yes, I have another guest, Jessica Powell, guys. Uh, she's an amazing entrepreneur. She's an amazing partnership designer. She's an amazing uh, influencer. She's an amazing individual that plays in the startup space and really understands the startup landscape. Uh, and I'm very blessed uh, to be able to build a relationship with her, to be able to unpack uh, a few variables with in the startup landscape really allowed, she really allowed me today on this podcast to really ask a lot of questions that were selfish to me, honestly, but I know that you guys will get some value. And then I was also uh, very intrigued to kind of unpack what she's working on, what she's a part of right now and what she's, uh, what she's excited about. So I know every single startup founder leader, brand, um, anyone in the entrepreneurship space will really be able to understand a little bit from this episode. And then some of my HR leaders out there, some of my people leaders out there, hopefully some of my CEOs out there will also take uh, some learnings and some experience from this as well. Uh, Jessica, thank you so much. This episode was again, a great one. I really loved your authenticity, your directness. I really loved how you pushed me to get very clear on a couple uh, different uh, scenarios and, and, and practical understandings. Um, love your authenticity. Love where your mind was at. Um, this was really a good one, guys. Thank you, Jessica. Let's get right into the episode. So this podcast is actually incredibly laid back, as I told you before. So um, we are actually already recording and I leave all of this in here for everyone. So uh um, there's not too much editing. So thank you for, uh, finally joining here. I'm excited to be here. How, uh, how have you been overall things, um, personally and professionally doing well? You know, I try to not because everyone is going through different seasons right now, but like life is just really, really great right now for me professionally, personally, kids are in a new school. And they're happy. Husband's at work. I get to work from home. So life is grand. And have you been feeling bad saying that? Because I'm kind of in a similar boat. And I've been kind of feeling bad saying that to someone. Yes. I mean, I almost don't answer truthfully sometimes if I know that my audience, you know, whoever's receiving the message is going through a hard time. But I also think it's really important in this day and age to share the good um, because that's all we have to hold on to right now. I think that's fair. Have have people understood or or maybe responded negatively when you said you were um, doing well? Maybe they weren't. Or how how how's the response been? Uh, the response has been wonderful, almost like you know a sigh of relief. Um, when anyone hears it, like, even if they're going through, I have a lot of friends that are trying desperately to find work. Um, Mm -hmm. and it it was easy for me. I was laid off in March with the nonprofit that I was running. Um, and it was a blessing in disguise for me because it allowed me to refocus on the priorities that, I needed to be making a priority. I just haven't, um, which is my kids and my family. So I was able to turn four months of not having a job into the biggest blessing I've ever experienced in, in being able to redefine myself and my values and reconsider who 
I want to be working with in the future, which led me to where I am now with full scale. And I'm just so grateful to be on this team. It's a startup team that values um, boundaries. And I've, I've never experienced <clears throat> a startup team that wants you to not work 24 hours a day. Hmm. <laughs> and it, it's been uncomfortably great for me. I, you know, having to respect those boundaries because it's, it just helps the company in the long run. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting to go there yet, but, but give me, give me a very brief example of that. And then I want, and then we'll kind of walk our will always back and actually tell everyone who they're listening to. So, um, my, what do you, yeah. Yeah. My CEO, <clears throat> Matt DeCourcy, he's a serial entrepreneur and founder and, you know, he just is the definition of startup hustle in all facets. And I still am shocked when I get text messages from him that say, you know, I know you're picking up your kids right now. Just give me a call when it's convenient for you. Or when you have time, let's discuss this. And it's just such a different approach um, because I have, I've always been if the boss calls you no matter what time of the day, you answer the phone and you better be hustling just as hard as them at that moment. Can I ask you something? Yes. Uh, pardon my, uh, no, not pardon my French, pardon <laughs> my uh, deep, uh, I don't even know the right word to use. Cause I, I guess uh, it's, I guess what I'm alluding to is how old are you? And then what I guess <laughs> I was trying to say is it's always, uh, not polite to ask, oh. but I think I think it's 2020, so maybe we're getting past that. So, um, how old are you? Yeah, I'm 38, and my boss is 45. Okay, so I asked what your age was because I've always found, and you're a little younger than uh, typically the, the 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 opinions of these individuals that have these opinions, but typically, like in the 40 to 50 range, they usually have that opinion that you had, which is um, boss reaches out to me I have to answer everything that I'm working on in my personal life uh, or even my professional life that is a little bit different than whatever he's asking or she's asking I need to put to zero and I need to focus on this there's always a little bit of that anxiousness when you see a text or an email or a call come through is that is that is that about right in your past experiences absolutely and even when I was the boss um, you know even you know, when you're in startup life, it, it just, it takes over and it's almost as though it's, you know, frowned upon or not celebrated if you have any other priorities whatsoever beyond the mission of that baby startup. And the sooner that you can go through the trials and <clears throat> get to an understanding of the fact that you're actually hurting your baby, you're hurting your startup, when you don't take time to unwind, time to connect with family, time that that time is is necessary for your startup to thrive. And there's typically never an objective reason of why we push that hard, is there? No, and and I found that for myself, I was usually my own worst enemy in that regards. Um, but but also, you know, my co-founders. You know, we feed into that on who's working the hardest type of mentality when it's just as reasonable to say, I'm not working Saturday or Sunday 
so that you can justify that on Monday, I'll actually run circles around you because I got to fill up my cup. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I will say this and then let's take ourselves back and give us the 45 second, 45 second uh, download of who you are. I, uh, I'm really uh, happy of how this uh, podcast has already started. I'm a huge fan of jumping right into the content. Um, so, so thank you for that, but we will walk ourselves back in one moment here. Um, but I guess just to add on to what you were saying is, yeah, there's, there's typically no objective reasons or point of views of why we push that hard. There's typically no, um, the upsides are always made up in our minds, but I will say this, I will say this, you know, I think there needs to be a recalibration of, of how fast or how big you think you actually want to be. And correlate that to what you work. Because I will say this. If you are working smart and you're coupling that with working incredibly hard from an hour perspective, you obviously will hopefully reward, you know, reap yes. the rewards of growing faster and bigger. But I do think there needs to be a calibration of, 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 of like where's the objective desire to grow an 18-month window versus a 24-month window? Like who or what or when or what energies are pulling you to, to, to build it that quickly. So that's, I think, a question that more people need to have rather than just growing fast just to grow. Agreed. And your priorities and, and your goals and your visions are consistently evolving and changing. You know, they typically should be at least. And um, if you're so heads down and so in that goal right then, right there, sometimes you can lose the perspective that you need in order to actually develop and grow. Exactly. Um, okay, well, I guess let's take a step back. Tell everyone finally who you yeah. are, um, what you're doing in the moment right now, what you're a part of. And, um, and one interesting problem that you are personally trying to wrap your head around, because the next bit of this is we're going to rift on that problem for maybe five or ten minutes and see if there's any value I can bring. Awesome. I know it's a little bit off, but maybe that's something we can try. Great. Well, um, I have always been an organizer, a doer, so to speak, um, not a visionary. So that's a little different when it comes to the startup world. I, I have no desire to be a visionary founder. I don't lose sleep at night over thinking about how to solve the next problem. I actually lose sleep at night on how to go to market and how to bring the answer to the problem that my team has already come up with, how, how we monetize it and how we scale it and grow it and, um, and, and, and take it to the next level, so to speak. So, you know, I've always kind of said that I'm the right hand to every founder that I've been with. Um, it all started for me in Chicago back in 2012. Um, me and my former uh, partner and co-founder, RJ, we started our first business called Venture Connects, and it was based out of 1871. And we would help startups get, quote unquote, investor ready. And that looked different for every startup. As you know, no startup is the same. And so that's kind of where my founder startup journey began. And it's morphed and evolved over time to bring me where I am today, which is with the startup hustle, 
podcast and we are just launching our new TV series that will be going to market in January. And so Startup Hustle is all about sharing the stories, the real stories of entrepreneurism from the entrepreneurs themselves, trying to solve that problem um, of, of not having the platform to advertise. And so, you know, I've noticed throughout the years that, you know, there's no shortage of education. You know, there's a conference, there's a podcast, there's a, you know, virtual summit, there's incubators and accelerators, there's mentors. I mean, you name it, the content is there. You can find out anything you want to find out about. And there's also contrary to popular belief, no shortage of funding. There's a, a many ways you can go for startup capital. But what I've noticed is that there's not really a whole lot of options for advertising and for marketing your startup. You may own the New York market, but does anybody outside of New York know about your company? So that's what led me to work with this team and, and, you know, do what I love doing. I, I don't ever consider what I do work. I love what I do. It, this is a hobby. This is fun. And um, I, I just love helping founders succeed however that looks for them. Unpack the marketing piece for me because I'm a bit, I'm a bit uh, confused. So when you say that, I mean, isn't there, you know, influencer marketing and Facebook ads and Instagram ads and, um, you know, even if you want to go as old school as like banner ads and like guest blogging and creating an email newsletter, like aren't there a lot of different functions or like maybe unpack, maybe I'm missing something. What do you, what did you mean by yeah, that? You know, I, a standard question that a lot of people like to ask investors is do you invest in the horse or do you invest in the jockey? It's a yeah. standard question. But I feel as though all of those marketing tactics that you just described, that is marketing your the horse. Um, there's ability in what you just, I mean, maybe a small amount, but there's no true way of defining your company culture, who you are as a founder, you know, the core entity of your company. And, and that's such an important part of doing business in today's world. It's not even necessarily about the problem that you solve, although yes, that's very, that's important, but it's also, do people like you? Are you a good person? Do people want to be around you? Did you, did, you know, they might buy your product, not only because it solves the problem, but because they like you. And I don't feel as though email campaigns or Facebook ads or newsletters allow the, the, the audience a chance to get to know the true person behind the company. You think that's important? Yes, I, I think it's vitally important. And I think that's how you can, you can get a step above um, the others. And I think that, you know, in today's market where everyone, everyone has a competitor, you know, if, if you're the only person doing it, then you probably haven't done, you know, your market research, or there's some something key in there that you're missing, in my opinion. 
but you know nowadays you have to you have to be able to tell your story not just about the company but about you as a leader as a founder what makes people want to to buy from you or you think that's vital for every company um no uh i i never i try to not go um absolutes in anything because i always think there's that uber out there that um can flip the script but um i think it can't hurt or if it does hurt then you know maybe you should uh reconsider being the face of your company or maybe you should should know about that problem before you get halfway down the field um Mm -hmm. you know I've worked with a lot of founders in the past that, you know, they're, they're just not likable and, mm-hmm. and investors and, and clients and corporate partners, they don't want to, people don't want to do business with people they don't like. That's fair. That's fair. So is that, is that, so give us maybe the, the three to four top services that you guys actually provide do you guys do investing um matt my my two founders matt and matt um they are angel investors our company in and of itself is not writing capital checks we have Uh in the past um you know helped startups by giving them um free services so our parent company is called full scale f-u-l-l scale s-c-a-l-e and full scale Mm -hmm helps um, small businesses source and find quality developers affordably. And so in the past, we've done a lot of, you know, we'll give you six months of developer full-time on your product, you know, on your company to, you know, do PHP or um, .NET or whatever developer services that company needs um, just to help them. Um, but they also write angel investing checks. I just try to not, um, get involved in that area too much because that's really their personal business. Got it. So full scale essentially is just kind of what you said. Are there any other components to that? Um, no, like any of the services that you guys provide I mean, to, uh, to, to entrepreneurs it's, and it's brands? It's specifically for development. You know, there's project managers and marketing and, you know, people that can help write blogs, content and stuff like that. But, you know, we have, we employ 200 developers in Cebu, Philippines. They're our employees. And so startups, you know, we've kind of, you know, Matt and Matt being serial entrepreneurs they tend to want to solve problems that they have or that they have had. And, you know, most startups will agree that it's um, kind of a part of the journey to waste a lot of money on your MVP with the wrong developer that isn't even right Mm -hmm. to go to market with. And, um, you know, it's, it's not a new concept of hiring overseas but we've perfected that process and how we do guided development with our clients. And um, it's the same billing every single month, regardless if they go over or under on their hours. So we've kind of perfected that pain point. And, you know, I'm a huge Kansas city gal. I mean, I live, eat, breathe Kansas city. And 
it was hard for me in the beginning when Matt and I were talking about me joining the team. I was like, listen, you know, I don't know how I can work for a company that is taking away from, you know, Kansas City developers. And I was so grateful that he explained it to me from his point of view in that, you know, we have dozens of companies here in Kansas City that are our clients. And instead of them spending $90,000 a year on, you know, a web developer, they're able to spend, you know, half that amount. And now they can go hire more salespeople. So we've been around mm-hmm. for three years and we're able to, to see that all of our clients are thriving because they're able to go, go do what they need to do, which is sell, 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 sales, sales, cures all. It typically does. That is very true. I, w- I would agree with that. Okay, so that's a very interesting model. Um, wh- what's something that you guys are trying to solve right now? I don't know. What's, what's, your, what's your involvement at the executive or management level around problems with the brand at a macro, maybe with your own individual role? What are, what are some things that you're thinking through, things that you don't necessarily have the full answer on that maybe we can rift off for a moment? Any, anything come to mind? Well, you know, Matt and Matt, um, they're louder personalities here in Kansas city. You know, it's pretty Mm -hmm. Midwest nice here. You know, people just smile and nod and, um, you know, Matt and Matt, they, Matt Watson, you know, he sold his first company for $150 million. And my other Matt, Matt DeCourcy, he's written, you know, number one, Amazon books. And, you know, they just have a lot of people's ears here in Kansas city And so, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the problems is, is that, you know, Matt and Matt are both two middle-aged white dudes from Kansas city. And they realized that, you know, it was their, um, privilege to, um, to get other voices heard. So startup hustle podcast has been around for three years and they've grown it to an 80,000 currently downloads per month. And so just a couple of months ago, they, they brought on three different faces, voices, um, backgrounds, people to come in and be guest hosts on, on a weekly basis so that we can do what we need to do in order to change the stereotypes here in Kansas City on who's doing entrepreneurship. You know, we're just a we're just a little behind here in Kansas City when it comes to most things. (laughs) Um, And so, what's the problem that you guys are are trying to unpack? You know, I guess yeah. What do you what do you? I mean, I just I'm frustrated that I see other cities moving faster when it comes to corporate partnerships, when it comes to inclusion. When it comes to corporate responsibility, um, you know, like, for example, Ingram's magazine, you know, they put out a list of the top 20 business business people in Kansas City every single year. And of course, mm-hmm. again, this year, all 20 of them are white dudes. And I'm just like, why? Like, why? They're like, there's so many other people doing amazing things for Kansas City. 
Well, you know that's a PR yes, game. Yes, I right? know, but but that doesn't. Because that's that's not that's not a real but, quantification of who's that actually the best. Stop me from wanting to shame them. That's fair. And, that's fair. And you know, if if other people aren't voicing the disgust of that, then it's never going to change here. And I don't think that that would fly in a coast city. You know, there people would be saying something. So what do you think is a solution? Like what 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 can we what what strategy that can we can we come up with together that could could solve that because um yeah th- this is what I want to see, right? What what I what I what I don't want to see. What I don't want to see is I don't want to see brands, companies, people, cities doing something Absolutely. just to do it. Agreed. So so let's let's try to no. If we can, know, knowing your yeah. city, let's try to live into a certain level of authenticity Agreed. that you think would, would blend so well. So I've with learned that. through my own experiences that if if you be the change, so to speak, and I can't change Ingrams, I can't even if I shouted off on the rooftop, like that's not necessarily going to change anything. So I try to take power and control of what I have the ability to do. And so what I have mm-hmm. the ability to do is I, I can go and lift up um, my female founders. I mean, that's really who I lose sleep over at night is um, female founders in general. Um, and so if I can get a female founder in Kansas City to have the next huge exit or to secure huge funding. Like, for example, my girlfriend, Caressa, she's the CEO of Modern Health, M-O-D-R-N, Health, Mod, R-N, Health. And, you know, she just secured a partnership or her, her first client with the Department of Defense and FEMA. I mean, that is a huge win for any company, let alone a, a, a little startup in Kansas city. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm on her to go and promote that appropriately and to go stand on, stand on a hill and shout it out. And so if she's not going to, I will on her behalf because I want everyone reading those posts or in that blog or on our podcast to recognize and see with their own eyes that it's not just white dudes in Kansas City that are doing good things. Have, have you considered starting your own podcast and your own blog where that's the entire premise is to uh, interview and search for and amplify those those I individuals? I haven't because I already have and, somebody and, on my team who's doing it. So um, Lauren Conaway, she handles all of our Thursday podcasts at Startup Hustle. No, you oh, personally. personally. You know, I, I just selfishly. Yeah, like as your I own really personal. I really don't yeah. like being in the limelight. I really like being behind the scenes. I, I love being the executor. That's fair. And not necessarily um, doing the quote unquote easy work. I mean, <laughs> like uh, all of our hosts laugh. They say, you know, you do all the hard work for us, Jessica. We just show up and, and interview people. And mm-hmm. I think I would maybe get bored if if I wasn't doing all the tying all the loose ends and connecting the I's and the T's and the, and dotting them all together 
That's fair. That's fair. Yes. It was just a thought, just trying to maybe, um, just because if there was something independent that you were to start, I think it'd be interesting just from your point of view, not full scares point of view, not the corporate or, or even, I know you guys aren't corporate, but not the company's point of view, but like your personal point of view, your personal perspective. Well, thank um, you for encouraging me. Um, you're not the first, and I'm sure you'll, you won't be the last. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've been a little jaded from startup life and um, I'm a little scared in general to start new things by myself. Um, And I but maybe I'll use that as as fuel to um, to think about some things. What 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 size companies are you guys typically interacting with? I mean, we're talking um, I'm sure there are people with ideas, and then I mean, what's what's the what's the sweet spot, and what's the biggest companies that you guys are interacting with, mm-hmm. working with, maybe even um, Matt yes. and Matt is that their names that they're investing in or mm-hmm. staying associated with, like outside of the coding and some of the um, and some of the engineer work and some of the things that you guys do from that perspective. What what are some other connection points or value or just support that you're bringing to the to the entrepreneurial communities and then what, what's, what's the sweet yeah. spot and what's the biggest companies that you guys from like a team perspective, you know, if, team if, size? if I think that we could define and, you know, write out a, write out a mock-up of who our ideal target partner, client, um, excite, exciting company to work with would be, it would be, you know, at least 10 people, no more than 50 because then it kind of starts getting a little dicey. Um, you know, what do you mean? Um, with the 50 people part, it, it, you know, I feel like, you know, have they secured Series A funding yet? Do they have a chief people officer? Do they have, have they failed already? Um, do they have a plan for the next five years down the road? You know, are they experienced in being ran by founders that have done this before? Um, and, you know, sometimes when you're to that point, you're not really mold, you're not really moldable anymore. You know, like you sub, you think? Some. Um, and yeah. I just really love like the 10 people spot because, you know, at that point you've kind of have market validation. Clearly you're able to pay people by that point. Hopefully you're paying everybody a good salary. And, you know, I just really love the, the seed stage. You know, I don't love pre-seed. Um, pre-seed is especially hard in the Midwest. Um so you don't like them when their ideas no. are too too early or they're too Correct. novice. You don't like it in startup terms, in startup world, because 50 employees is not big. Yeah. But in startup world, you're saying when they get to 50, 60, 70 employees, you, you're, you're, you, you typically feel that right, wrong, or indifferent, they're, whether it's ego, whether it's just they're stuck in their ways, that they're starting to then, they're, they're starting to then say to themselves, we've made enough revenue and got to the point where we can have 50, we are less likely to listen to other Correct. perspectives. That's just my opinion point. though. You know, everyone's different, but I of feel course. like when you're at like 60, 70, 80 people, 
you no longer need, you know, fractional CFO help. You know, you no longer need, you know, that one-off contractor. Like if you haven't, if you can't afford to hire a full-time person for your full-time needs, then, you know, then you've got problems. You know, I just feel like I really love, I love whiteboarding it out. You know, I love, you know, coming to a meeting with a problem and a solution and excitement and, and starting somewhere and ending somewhere like a journey together. And, you know, sometimes when you get with those companies that have been around, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years, you know, they are, they know so much that you can't really get caught up to where they are to advise them. That's interesting. Um, okay. I don't know if I agree. Tell me. I don't know. I'm thinking. Um, so you said something that was interesting, right? You, you mentioned the fractional CFO. So um, I guess let me, let me have yes. a selfish moment here for a moment, I guess. Um, so when you first met me, you know, so hopefully as we continue to know each other and, uh, I introduce you to a partner or two, hopefully there's ways that we can support you guys and the vice versa. We can stay connected. That's obviously the long-term goal of, of anybody that I, I connect with. Um, but even outside of that, right. So speaking about those companies that are at that 50, 60, 70, a hundred person range, the way that my business is designed, it's actually very similar to a fractional CFO. And, and, I, and I guess I'll push back a, a bit to say this. What, what I've started to realize being inside of startups that, that are at that size, I'm starting to see founders hopefully begin the trend of waking up a bit and realizing it's not that they can't invest in a full-time head of people. It's not that they can't invest in a full-time CFO, but it may be smarter that they spread it across a collective or spread it across a few different individuals that play the finance game to make sure that they're building out the systems and the foundation to go from 50 to 150 the right way, right? Because speaking from the head of people area, right? Something that I've done personally and a lot of my partners, there's a lot of components and a lot of intricacies to the leadership behavior, employee experience, HR, people operations world that is very intense for yes. one person to take on. And so the, the problem that I'm trying to solve, speaking to the point of like that 50, 60, 70 point is, I actually don't want these companies to invest, you know, 70 to 130, 140, depending on how much revenue they have and where they're living. Um, I don't want them to invest that much in that one because I know personally what that one person is going to be running around their heads cut off, trying to get a lot of functions off the ground and trying to implement a lot of things internally. I actually would want them to lean more, a little bit more into the fractional collective model. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Like even from the CFO or the head of people range as far as uh, that, you know, so from my point of view, it's not maybe that they don't have the cash. It's that I'm hoping more leaders are starting to come around to the fact that from a pure competence and doing it the right way from the beginning standpoint, that may be a better option. Would you, you know, what would you say to expertise that? Expertise always wins. And I think that if a fractional company or, you know, four fractionals that can come in and make it one whole, however, however you want to break it down. Um, 
yeah. You know, if 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 their expertise is the winner, then that's who you go with. Um, you know, I I I'm still of the mindset of team though, and um, you know, I Meaning. I live and and die for my work family. You know, like, um, and I don't. Maybe it's just because I'm hyper relational, um, and sometimes I have to be cognizant to try to be equal balance of relational and transactional. Um, but I feel I'm the same. like, you know, I I don't know how much I trust. Being completely honest, that a fractional company that's unpacked would it, yeah. love my work family as much as a full time person in that sector so let me let me toss you a very now it's getting fun here and i think I, my my gut feeling tells me that you I are am. very straight up <laughs> I'm, I'm so i think you're running nice in a straight right up now answer. i'm trying to watch my words because i also <laughs> no just say it like it is a little bit too much <laughs> all right i want you to say it like it is um you can, you can, I don't know if you're okay. super religious, right. you can curse, you can do whatever you want on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. So that there you go. See, that was a nice little, um, there it is. Um, so let me say this. Are you willing, right? Because I think this is fun. Are you willing to compromise on competence and structure to lean more into family than to not so utilizing your example because i can make an argument Mm -hmm. for example let me speak about my personal brand i can make an argument that what we're doing with startup ex everything for me is about relationships i am not building this business any other way i told you that the first time i met you i'm not building this business any other way partnerships and relationships the only way this is going to grow and so you know part of the first month or two is we're embedding ourselves so deeply into the culture and building that emotional glue we have to feel that mm-hmm. safety and that trust and it's going to work. Um, so I guess what I'm pushing back to you really quickly is if you're saying you kind of want to lean into more of that family vibe and have someone internally day in and day out, 40 hours a week, would you, are you comfortable taking the sacrifice of mistakes, of lack of competence, of lack of structure of one versus for a period of time, you got to remember, the, the the fractional collective model is not mm-hmm. a fix forever. So our our plan is bring in five people for nine months. Mm-hmm. You walk away with a plan forever. Now, obviously, you can tweak it, change it. Like there may be continuous things that we need to do with you long term, just to kind of stay in touch and make little tweaks. But take the sacrifice for nine months, get it done right. Right, it's very similar to losing weight sacrifice nine Mm -hmm. months of not going to the bars, not bullshitting with your diet, get your shit together for nine months, you'll reap the benefits long-term, then you can just go into maintenance. So, what's your thoughts on all that? Because one person internally, I'll tell you you personally right now, one person internally at a 50, 60, 70 person company, Yes. Yeah, it's going to run around their heads cut off, and nine times out of ten, they're not going to do things right. You know, as two a collective things while board. you were telling me that that came to mind, and one is, I would absolutely go fractional. You know, five people for nine months, especially if I knew on the front end that you cared about me, that this wasn't just 
mm-hmm. um, a nine, like a nine-month contract. That's the whole game, right? Yeah. To you. And secondly, if I knew that I was going to walk away with a game plan, because that's kind of like the reason why I don't necessarily, mm. you know, love, you know, like full scale, for example, we don't do dev work, you know, projects like people can't just contract us to make their MVP. Like we want to be with you forever, so to speak. We want to grow with you. Like, because we're going to fall in love with you and we don't want mm-hmm. you to break up with us type of a thing. And, exactly. you know, like, if I knew like, going into a fractional relationship what the end goal was, what you were leading me to, what I got to walk away with, um, that changes everything yep. for me. And so you're saying, because I love this context you're giving. So you're saying selfishly with my example but even at a macro level for all the startups that may be listening what you're saying is number one and this is the bread and butter for what we've been saying this entire episode number one it's about relationship it's about vibes it's about family it's about love it's about truly feeling like you're here to have my best interest at heart number one it starts that way don't what you're saying is don't come at me cfo fractional head of people fractional whatever the case is with this very transactional you know read it step up Right. And then what you're saying is if they can tangibly set you up for a long term success and it can be shown and they're still going to be around to make tweaks along the way. So it doesn't seem like it's such a transactional moment. Now I'm that's a bit more interesting sold type like now. Now it's not even about, you know, what are they offering? It's like, please tell me the pitch. Tell me more. I'm eager. I'm hooked. And, you know, to know. Like with anything, like, you know, a babysitter, any, any contract job, you want to know that you're receiving value after the fact, you know, like if my babysitter comes over and she cleans my house while I'm gone, great. If she's teaching my kids something that the next day my kids are going to play goldfish because she taught them how to do it, I'm still winning. I'm, I'm like... She, I'm not, I'm still gaining value from the hundred dollars I paid her last night. I'm still seeing the ROI. And I think that that's been, you know, the toughest part for me when it comes to, um, contract is that I, it's usually mm-hmm. just been like a project. Okay. You've done, you're done. Goodbye. You know, I, I've, I've gotten the value. I've squeezed the lemon. Now it's on to the next lemon. How do you think, so speak of this from the full scale, this is my last selfish question, and then we'll shift more to some other things. I usually try to only spend like at least 10 minutes just to uh, think about things. How does full scale, and again, granted that hopefully you think I'm some somewhat of a decent guy and we can continue to build a relationship long-term over the next five, 10, however long it takes to try to find ways to bring value to each other. How from a full scale perspective and then other you guys don't deem yourself you guys are not call it technically you don't you guys no, are actually the mass are correct? very adamant that i not call us that even though there are some definite parallels there but you're correct we are not okay <laughs> i'll be respectful and not call you an incubator but yes incubator-esque right um and then other incubators you know how do you guys look at individuals and brands like me 
How do you guys look at people from the outside that want to lean into relationship first, genuinely are willing to show you through our actions, whether it's, you know, a keynote, workshops, podcast, advising, anything that we need to do to just to get close to founders, bring value to full scale, bring value to what you guys are doing. Um, how do you guys look at collaborations uh, through, through other aspects of startup world? And then selfishly, if I can ask you through the stuff that I talk about, because I'm starting to have a lot of conversations with incubators right now, and I'm finding it very fascinating that they're not getting pinged a lot from people that do what I do from the lens of the way that I do it to, to talk about what does it look like to have some interactive collaborations that gets us closer to the startups while also brings value to an incubator-esque like a full scale or, or incubator traditionally. How do you guys think through partnerships and, and how do you personally think through kind of what we do and who I am? So maybe well, those are two different questions. Um... You know, everything, my, my title here is the Director of Strategic Partnerships, which I just love because it really gives mm-hmm. me so much opportunity to do really whatever I want, and as long as it's bringing value to the company. Um, and, you know, what mm-hmm. I'm constantly hyper-focused on here is the trifecta win. So let's take your incubator for an example, let's just say 1871 because it's the world's largest, most known incubator, and everyone should know about 1871. Um, I also really love Capital Factory in yep. Texas, so I'll give them a shout out as well. Um, I have a relationship with oh, yeah. them. Really. Do you know anyone there? CEO and founder. I know Helena. She is um, a venture analyst for their venture arm. I know a lot of people there. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll grow to love me. You can give me an Joshua, in the next six hard, months. He's he's a hard nut to crack, but I'm sure that you know. Um, yeah, the reason why he's a hard I, nut to I have crack but is time. because you know, in the startup world, you know, people are 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 you know are tough. You know, they they always come with the ask. They're always, you know, it's so we've been taught for so long, make the ask, be clear in your ask, make sure that you have an ask, but you know, like who's teaching everyone to make sure that you give before you receive. And yes, that's what me and you first vibed off when I first reached out. Since me, you both have these partnership mindsets. It's always, I'm always thinking, what can I do first? And, and that's how first. anything grows, which feeds back into my trifecta mindset. So you have your 1871, you have your incubator, you have your startup that's affiliated with 1871, and then you have you or your full scale. Exactly. You know, let's just call them a service provider. So, you know, you have these three entities. Of course. And the most important thing to remember is that it doesn't work at all unless all three are hopefully equally winning, but, but maybe they're not equal. Maybe you can't have 33% equal wins on everybody, but at least everyone has to be a winner. You know, there can't be a loser. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And you know, what I feel like is the most important for the service providers to consider is, is building the trust, the partnership, the, promotion the the 
the understanding of each other's brand. You know, you really need to understand their brand. And I Mm -hmm. found that, that I can best understand people's brands by getting to know, you know, their HR director or their, you know, communication strategist or the executive assistant to Joshua or to Betsy Ziegler at 1871. When you get to know those people, you know, that's when it's quote unquote easier to make it happen because you know what, what to speak to, you know, what, what their goals are, what their mission is. And, and hopefully you've been doing business in this field long enough to know that you can't fit a square peg into a round hole. So it's very important that if, if it's it's not going to work, then, then to, still be friends and amicable, but, but move on. You don't want to waste time. I think that's super fair. And that was very interesting. So directly what, uh, just to put a bow on all this, what advice? So I think that was macro advice. So any startup founder that listened to that, take that advice because that's macro advice that, you know, partnership and you know this but i guess we'll both maybe yes. <laughs> uh join forces and just scream to the top of the mountain partnerships and and you know whether it's you know a connector or a, a, a completely uh in, you know fully ingrained partnership or a blend of the two partnerships yes. can Without definitely scale an organization it will take a, 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 it will be a longer harder ro- road period 100 percent of the time no. And you know what's funny? No. People think it's the opposite, right? People think, well, if I just nope. get investment and I just run a Facebook ad or I just run an Instagram ad or if I just create this nope. best product and have the, have the best tech behind it nope. or if I just make this one no, video, it I mean, it then may, it's going to work out. Um, but it's not going to be because of that video. It's going to be because that video started a partnership You will admit, though, and I will admit this, too. Maybe you won't admit, but I'll admit this. You will admit when you play the partnership game, the amount of time it takes you to hit that consistent oh, yeah. speed it, definitely know, is a little bit longer. It's it's Because you got to build the relationship. Sometimes when you know that you have a square peg and a square hole and it has to fit and it does fit and everybody needs to wake up and see that it's a win-win-win and – Sometimes people just aren't in the mood, you know, sometimes they're corporate, you know, Hey, it's not broken. No need to fix it mindset. And, and that's okay. You know, it's not your business to run. That doesn't mean that you have a bad picker. It just means that it's, it's not today. And, you know, it's important to, you know, how a few years ago people started saying that you should, you know, keep track of your investors and VC outreach the same way that you manage your sales funnel, like a CRM. That's how I handle my partnerships. I have a CRM on my partnerships, not because they're sales leads or I'm going to make a commission off of them. It's because I want to know, I want to know how to speak to them. I want to know what's important to them. I want to know that if I have an offering Mm -hmm. that I'm not wasting their time. Because that's half the, you know, that's half the thing, you know, don't reach out to these incubators, accelerators, startups, anybody, if you haven't done your homework. I mean, 
Um, do the homework on the front end. Yep. Yes. Yes. And then validate the homework but, once you, you know, get in there. Social selling, if I can add another Last, thing, you know, if, go if ahead. you if you know that you have 100 incubators nationwide that you want to go target to create a partnership for you and, and your company, you know, do, do some things first before you reach out to them, you know, go follow them on Twitter, create a private list on Twitter where you can, Mm -hmm. you know, add all of those incubators into a private list. And then once a week you go in and you like their status, show them some social love, you know, like comment on it a few times, yep. ask for introductions, um, you know, and, and don't pitch right off the bat. Um, and, and, nope. you know, what I've done through the years is I, I have this one partner. Um, he has written me or my organization's five sponsor checks over the past two years. Cause I've, I've gone from project to project to, nonprofit to different startup to consulting and you know he's not writing mm-hmm. a check to my organizations he's writing a check because he believes in me exactly exactly this was yes. amazing let, let, what one final question here uh this is about you kind of potentially uh you you sent over a few topics we've we've covered we've covered we've covered a few um, this is something that I think is interesting. So this is the last question. Um, you wrote over to me, karma and entrepreneur life and life as a whole. Um, what did you, what did you mean when you sent that over and give me your just first take first thoughts, first reactions that founders what was need the first to unpack and I'll give you mine and then we'll get out of here. Oh yeah. Karma. You karma know, and entrepreneur just, life and life thing. as a whole. And, you know, people have been saying the word karma like it's a bad thing, you know, like, and it can be bad for sure. But like, you know, if you, I just want to encourage everyone as we exit this, if you take nothing away from this podcast, take this away, do good work every day. And I promise you that in time, maybe it's tomorrow Maybe it's in 10 years. I can't tell you when, but I promise you when you do good work, it does come back to you. And, and I'm now experiencing that. I mean, I, I yep. lost sleep a decade ago, you know, promoting the female founders that I love, you know, creating these Twitter lists, you know, whatever it is and not having it provide me any ROI right then and there, or even, you know, years later, but you know, they know me, they know my brand, they respect me. And yep. now, you know, they're having conversations with me. They reach out to me. Um, it, it's making life a lot more fun right now for me because I did all the good work, you know, 10 plus years ago. So. Yeah. You know, it makes it a lot easier too to give some people to, to, to live off of and jump on the back of that idea as well. And that tip. You know, you know what makes, you know, doing good work and building long-term value-based partnerships where you give value. Like, I'll be very transparent with, with, with what you're associated with and all the other incubators. I'm like, I'll do five, I'll, I'll, I'll do a 18-part series of podcast content just for your 
just for your startups that you got. I'll, I'll extract the RSS feed. I'll do a keynote. I'll do a fireside chat. I'll create blog after blog that's deep. I'll do whatever I need to do to bring complete value to them, not ask for anything, just looking to build value, looking to build a relationship, looking to build context, looking to understand. I'll do whatever I need to do. And the way that you're able to live fully into bringing value, fully into being on the right side of karma, is if your day-to-day life from a financial standpoint is not contingent on you inking or rushing a partnership. That's a, this is a very tangible thing that I'm seeing a lot of startups Correct. and a lot of entrepreneurs individually not fully understanding. The amount of speed that you have around establishing a partnership, going to market, closing a deal is all contingent typically Correct. off of the pressures you're having from your real life. And something that I'm doing right now, I'm a hustler through and through, whether it's keynotes, whether it's workshops, whether it's DoorDash, Uber, eBay. Right now, as I lost my job seven months ago due to Corona and I decided to get this business off the ground, I've spent the last six months doing whatever I need to do to accumulate five to $6,000 in a month's yep. time to keep my day-to-day life stable so that the last six months have been spent building nothing but relationships because I'm not expect I don't need anything to turn around to be a quick win. And so I don't know if you want to jump, jump on that before we wrap up, but that's something that I think is like super tangible and sticky that a lot of entrepreneurs are not getting. Correct. Go get a job if you don't have investment dollars. If you have had investment dollars, explain to your investors that you're taking this partnership route and it may take a bit more time and make sure that they're okay with that trend, that, that amount of speed. Because you, you know this game. Investors can also push pretty aggressively as well to have things go a little bit more faster so you know um, just that, any, any last you know, thoughts on that doing, little rant i just gave you ha- you have built everything the way you should have it and i see no yellow flags anywhere through this conversation or our previous ones and i'm really really proud of what you're building and i'm proud of the problem that you're solving and i really like just want to encourage you to keep keep doing what you're doing and Good things happen to good people and good things happen to businesses when you do good business. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Jessica, I thank you so much. I look forward to working with you. Um, Me and you are both very partnership minded. So uh, I'm going to be pinging you to find ways that I can help you help you guys figure out how we can continue to build this relationship. And uh, first step is I'll be editing this sending this over and maybe we'll have a, a brief chat to, to figure out how we uh, both it. felt Thank it went so much, and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Take care. Thank you so much.